Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man, the best podcast to break down hard-hitting dialogue such as, there's only six of them, let them have it, you're seeing double, dimwit, and shoot quieter. Here to provide analysis for those lines and so much more is my friend Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? I'm doing great. Uh, it sounds like you're quoting the regular patrons of Josie's Bar. <laughs> shoot quieter, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Too loud. <laughs> a little spoiler of what's coming up in issue 266. There will be some uh, people from the bar showing up with guns. We'll see how many and uh, <laughs> what kind of danger that that's going to cause Spider-Man. From June of 1985, Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man 265 Trade Secret by DeFalco, Friends, and Rubenstein. Eddie, you're still preparing for your presentation, so... <laughs> Sorry, listeners. You, you're going to get the James V version of The Amazing Spider-Man summaries. However... Eddie did come back and write the last one. So the first two are by me, and I really did enjoy, well, at least the second one. So hopefully we we get Eddie back soon doing all the summaries. But for today, <laughs> here we go. The Black Fox is selling a valuable diamond to a famous fence. No, it's not famous fence, Eddie Hasbacher, but New York fence, Andre Bullion. Cops bust in with gas grenades. And the Black Fox escapes only to be chased by Silver Sable security goons. All this on a day he hoped to retire. Do you have any plans to retire anytime soon, Eddie? Odd you you should say that to me today. I was just talking about it. No, sir, uh, I will not be retiring, maybe ever. (laughs) As my uncle used to say, I will die in the (laughs) yoke. So... No, James B. Why don't you continue with our story, though? Okay. Well, meanwhile, newborn Norman Harry Osborn, no middle name Peter there, by the way, if you listen to our last episode, but is visited by his godfather, Peter, and then Mary Jane Watson. Peter leaves to see what is going on with the commotion involving the Black Fox. When he arrives, a hail of mercy bullets? are firing on the Black Fox, who is asking to surrender. Spider-Man comes to his aid, and we learn that the Silver Sable security goons are sort of good guys, even though they didn't let him surrender with mercy bullets, and Spider-Man shouldn't have gotten involved. I'm so happy to learn the baby's name, Norman Harry Osborne, that I'm going to let the awful return of mercy bullets slide for now. Let's let's finish this one up, James B. After a scene with Aunt May being convinced by Nathan to call Peter and a discussion with himself about the symbiote and which suit to wear, Peter heads out as Spider-Man looking for the Black Fox. He hears the Black Fox story about how he wants to retire to see his family in Europe. Spider-Man helps the old man get away, but gives the jewels back to the Silver Sable and her company. The book ends with the long-awaited reunion of Peter and Aunt May. Yes, I'm so happy. Peter and Aunt May are on speaking terms again. 
I, I really did not enjoy the riff in their relationship. It was just not a good way to play their characters against each other. I, I, di I didn't mention the Silver Sable. This is exciting. It's a new development, a new character who seems quite powerful. Uh, she has her own like security squad and questionably good or bad, I guess. Well, they use mercy bullets and they, I don't know why they weren't letting him surrender. And he's like, I give up. And they're like, keep shooting him with mercy bullets. <laughs> I don't want to make fun of the book, but that was a forced, you know, plot device there. So Spider-Man had to get involved. Uh, yeah, I don't know the big deal of Silver Sable either. They did show her being like kind of boss, like, you know, fighting yeah. a bunch of people, like kind of Kingpin-esque. I'm going to beat up it's all the true. people that work for me, you know, dressed in my gym suit or whatever she was wearing. And uh, yeah, whatever. It's fine. It's funny that this was the big book that's worth like a lot of money in this run because Eddie, this next book, I mean, spoiler, I, I really enjoy it. But go ahead and give us the intro and then let me do my thing. From July of 1985, Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man 266, Jump For My Love, or Bring Is In The Air, by Peter David, Sal Bushima, and Joe Rubenstein. Yeah, those are both uh, song titles, by the way. There's a lot of song references in here. Oh. They even make, uh, there's a lot of Van Halen uh, song titles really? in, the, in the book, too. Oh, yes. oh, this just plays right up to you, James. Yeah, those are, okay. those are both songs. After saving a suicidal stranger named Mortimer, Spider-Man tries to give him some hope and offers the forlorn chubby old man much-needed bonding and friendship. Later, when Spider-Man goes off to stop a robbery, Spider-Man is strangely assisted by the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants member The Toad, who reveals that he was Mortimer. Yes, the same Mortimer who Spider-Man saved and was nice to. The Toad embraces the wall crawler and announces live on TV that he is Spider-Man's new partner. Spider-Man is confused. Young Frogman, who wanted to be Spidey Psychic, is watching at home and is understandably angry. What? What is going on? Spider-Man attracts the oddest of oddballs once again. James B., I had to think about this while I was reading it. Do the Fantastic Four have the same problem as Spider-Man in their books? Attracting well, they... very strange people to them? <laughs> uh, yes. They okay. Do. They do. All right. All right. It's more like, yes, they do. They have, but usually more like strange villains that kind of find their way into them or like, you know, aliens who are like an alien baby who's trying to find its way home or something like that, you know, or, or like a, a crazy <laughs> robot that... Just wants to be a human or something like that. Yeah, Not Mortimer have... and uh, Young Frogman? <laughs> no. People don't try to join the Fantastic Four. They just wait till the thing bows out and then they replace him over and over again. So, Eddie, Spider-Man tells the Toad that he doesn't want a partner using his recent situation with the Black Cat kind of as an excuse, but he reluctantly agrees that he and the Toad can have breakfast tomorrow and should meet at the docks at 7 a.m. The Toad wants to impress Spider-Man, so he goes undercover... This is not known to the reader, but you can sort of read between the lines because he tells all 47 of the crooks, I guess, at Josie's Bar, which is where all crooks go, I guess, that Spider-Man will be at the docks at 7 a.m. He tells me, I heard it from the Toad, Spider-Man's partner. And he says, why don't we all get there and show up and teach him a lesson? And they're all like, yeah. The Toad plans on showing Spider-Man he's a worthy partner. 
Frogman catches onto this and he confronts the toad who shrugs off Frogman as a kid. I also should mention real quick here that when he's announcing this, another person overhears his conversation who's going to come into play later. Eddie. A shadowy figure in an apartment hears hears all about this. Yes. I'm really impressed that Josie's bar can attract 47 patrons. I mean, I, I don't go to too many bars but like that that seems like a big number of people to be hanging out oh. at the world's shadiest bar whoa 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 <laughs> maxis and josies are sponsors of let's read spider-man let's take it easy here uh, we perhaps we're giving them all this attention and our listeners are joining are going there yeah don't don't, don't bad you're always trying to convince me these sponsors are good for our show, James B. All right. All right. All right. Well, you start bringing in some sponsors and we can talk. I, all right. Thanks. There has to be a love interest in here, right, James B.? You, perfect timing, Eddie, because Peter has to talk with Bambi about how he could break up with his friends. He's trying to, like, talk to her about these guys. He doesn't want to be with Toad, but he doesn't know how to say it. <laughs> It's kind of suggested, Bambi says, oh, uh, if I was trying to get rid of like an ex-boyfriend, I would just, you know, get him a new girlfriend. It's also suggested that Peter doesn't mind talking to Bambi. Um, I have a few lines I could give you. I think it's time for the complicated ladies of Peter Parker's life. He says, my next door neighbor can tingle my spider sense anytime. And she says, oh, Peter. I watch the sunrise every morning. I never mind company. Thanks for listening to The Complicated Ladies of Peter Parker's Life. (laughs) Eddie, I got a lot more to go with the story. I really, really enjoy this. Yes. Okay, so the climax of our story happens at 7 a.m. We're at the docks 47. Well, it's actually 9 Nine guys show up. Nine skilled. Okay, well, they're actually sloppy drunk, barely standing, seeing double gunmen show up. But Spider-Man prepares to deal with the situation. But have no fear. The Toad and Frogman both show up to save Spidey. Frogman says to Toad, I hope you're happy. Spidey's in trouble. Spider-Man says, I am? Question mark. Frogman says, fortunately, I am here to save him. Spider-Man says, this is a gag, right? So Toad and Frogman argue with each other, and they fight each other while the drunk goons are firing randomly. Spider-Man deals with the goons, exclaiming, basically, he's afraid they're going to shoot each other. Toad smashes through an exotic pet store window, and suddenly the street fills with... Frogs. But it can't get any crazier. Around the corner comes the mechanical arms of Ollie Osnick yelling, get out of the way, losers, and watch the best qualified spider partner in action, and you might want to take notes. Toad and Frogman then try to take down Ollie. They all get tangled up. And now, Eddie, oh, man, Eddie, I've just got to read you a few pages of this book. Do you have a minute? I would love to hear you read these pages, James. We go ahead. All right, listeners, if you're going to be collecting this book and reading it over and over again like I am, you need to get ahead on page 21 of this book, and I'll read you a little bit from 22 as well. 
Spider-Man says, pathetic, really pathetic. And guys, I've had it. Toad, I'd advise you to go back to the shrink. Frogman, you put the in in inept. And kid, if your parents knew about this, they stick you in a six-arm straitjacket. My responsibility ends here. And frankly, you three misfits deserve each other. Uh, wait, that's not to say that. And Frogman goes, you know, Toad, you do have a lot of experience. Even if you do dumb things like set up ambushes, just so Spidey thinks he needs you. And then Ollie says, yeah, am I? And then boast about it outside my window. So I find all about it. And he says, and you've always had your natural power. I'm just starting out. And Toad chimes in and he says, well, you've certainly got me beat on leaping height, Frogman. Why, if I could have, hone, if I could hone your fighting skills. And then Spider-Man says, what fighting skills? He couldn't beat an egg. And then Toad says, and those hydraulic arms, you make them yourself? He's like, you bet. You need weapons or a, you need a weapons maker for this team? I'm your man. And Spider-Man says, team? Gentlemen, Spider-Man is right. We deserve each other. Spider-Man says, what team? <laughs> a real superhero team? I'm a charter member and we'll call ourselves... Spider-Man says, Larry, Curly, and Moe? Guys, you can't be serious. He goes, don't worry, Spider-Man. We won't steal your thunder too often. Hey, guys, how about what Spidey called us for a team name? Misfits. That's appropriate. Spider-Man says, great, just great. I can think of more appropriate names like, and they jump away saying, to the Misfits. And the book actually has some, like, choices at the end. Other anyway, suggested Did you names. see the other choices there? <laughs> the all-wiener squad. The Oi Team, or the Spastic Three. <laughs> oh my God, it's pure gold. This book, guys. If you're, if you, you can keep listening to the podcast, or you can pause it and rush out the door right now, and I won't be offended at all. I understand how good this book is. Get your copy while you can before they explode on eBay in sales. <laughs> Again, don't worry about buying the Silver Sable book, which costs like you know ten times as much as this one. Eddie, this excellent story concludes with some uh, heavy flirting with Peter and Bambi, but we've already had a segment on that. So uh, oh, I love this book so much. <laughs> I I am speechless, James B. Uh, it's such a strange book. And I think it's because I've been reading such excellent, serious writing in Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, when we did 98, 99, and 100 that was so pertinent, and this is so off the wall. I do very much enjoy that you enjoy the off-the-wall <laughs> issue today. <laughs> well, I took up a lot of our time on that book, and you did read the last book for sure because you did write the summary on it. And We're all missing some Eddie summaries because it's been a couple episodes since we heard one. So I spoke too much <laughs> in the last one. You can just do this whole one, and then I'll chime in at the end. Okay. From August of 1985, Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man 267. The Commuter Cometh, written by Peter David, art by Bob McLeod. Before we start, page two of this book is rather scandalous, almost as much as the underwear-clad Peter Parker on page six. Uh, did you see what happens on page two, James B.? Yeah, there's some topless people bathing and they're covering up as yeah, the torches Spider-Man fly by. And not only that, th these are the words of the Human Torch. The Black Cat. Now there is a hot little number. Sexy. Intelligent. Sexy. Charming. Sexy. Uh, torch. <laughs> so much scandal on page two. Well, 
I'll move on from my Puritan beliefs there. Spidey feels down on his luck. Thankfully, his old buddy, the Human Torch, flies by to cheer him up by writing, Boo? I'm not totally sure what spooks Spidey in this scene. Uh, It's great, though, how the Torch pokes fun at Spider-Man for potentially having to recover with the affair he had with Blaze. This is the rich college kids created villain that didn't actually exist. Uh, Anyways... As Torch departs, Spider-Man sees a jewelry store being robbed. When the robber sees a Spidey swinging towards him, he takes a hostage and manages to escape in the subway. This whole scenario is farcical, right, James B.? Uh, yes. I knew it was a mannequin. Did you know it was a mannequin? I knew it was a mannequin, too. And it's funny because Spider-Man's like, my spider, no wonder my spider sense wasn't going off after he figures out it's a mannequin. He's like, I should always trust my spider sense. If we just, last issue, I talked about how the spider sense must be pinging all the time. If, if I hadn't thought about this, man, this would have really irritated me. It's like, of course he doesn't have a gun or a hostage. Well... Ron, and I I don't think he got a last name in this, so I'm going to refer to him as Ron the Robber, makes it home to the Long Island suburbs, where we see him living a comfortable suburban life. Spider-Man is able to locate Ron through a tracer he tossed on him um, as he ran to the subway. And after a series of comical errors while getting to Long Island and trying to catch Ron the Robber, Spider-Man finally nabs him. This is another weird, offbeat book. I don't talk too much about it, but Spider-Man is, like, basically lost in the suburbs. He can't swing around because there's nothing to swing off of. Uh, the He, like, gets in a confrontation with several of the neighbors, and, like, the neighbor kids are like, are you going to stay here? He's like, no, I need to go back to the city. It, it is more normal than the previous book, but so, another strange one. This book gets a lot of praise. I was aware of this book being... A little more famous than you appreciate it. So I poked around and tried to get a better way of saying what I say because I'm not a wordsmith. And I found an article uh, by the name of the author was Trevor. Uh, his last name is Van A.S. Uh-huh. And uh, it was a long article about this, but I, I took some of his words and I'm just going to give them to you. It says Spidey is very reliant on buildings to swing on, but what if there are no buildings? He's stuck on the ground. So maybe he could climb a tree. Not when they snap and cause the attention of the neighborhood watch. These are all things that happen yes. in the book. Spidey is shaking his head frantically in confusion when he's stopped by the neighborhood watch. And he's tapping his fingers in, fr- in frustration when he's being frisked. How about taking the bus? Well, the grumpy driver stopped the bus and forces Spidey to pay the fare. But since Spider-Man doesn't carry cash, there's no ride for him. We see this great panel of a glum-looking Spider-Man watching the bus drive off without him, <laughs> smoke billowing up behind it. Eventually, Spidey catches a break when a garbage man, who are also big fans, offers him a ride. Along the way, one of the garbage men tries to set our hero up with a date with his sister. But the point is here that this is supposed to be a book about what if Spider-Man was stuck in the suburbs and how would it, you know, and there's supposed to be some appeal to that. So a lot of people like it for the interesting, for the offbeatness that it is. So I'm just too serious here, James B. My goodness, uh, it it certainly does appear that. He could not survive in the suburbs at all, this book. But I, I was not particularly entertained by the jokes that happened <laughs> all through here. Yeah, it. I didn't love it as much as the, like the public does, but I understood like what it was supposed to be. But as much as I really enjoyed 266, 
do I again want, do I want to go from like, here's a book about the building of this, you know, the black Fox uh, yeah. and the silver sable. And then we go to like a weird book and then another weird book. Like yeah. when are we going to get some momentum and get back on the, you know, the regular where, villain? Where, where's the hobgoblin? I'm ready. Where is that guy? I thought he, is he gone? Didn't we? I don't know. He just ran off. I mean, where are we going to go? What's going on in Webb? Because nothing's going on in these other two series, right? Oh, yeah. the Vulturians were running around. They were auditioning for the Kingpin. <sighs> At least the Kingpin's in there. Well, consistently. I do have one thing we can rely on, Eddie. What's that? That's our sponsor today. <laughs> All right. And you can rely on him because it's one of your favorite sponsors. It's a returning sponsor just for you, Eddie. And oh, okay. Feel All free right. to... Yeah, you can give us your feedback on so this. So, like, yeah, like one out of the two hundred sponsors, my favorite. Okay, Eddie, we know you and most people in Midtown are thirsty. That's why Midtown offers a pair of bars to complement the unique culinary <laughs> offerings of the city. Guests can enjoy a variety of seven ales oh, and boy. forty-seven dangerous patrons. Maybe at least nine. With dimly lit rooms and floozies, Maxie's and Josie's bars are your one-stop dining experience. Eddie, whether you're looking for libations for takeout, stopping by the bar for just post-work drinks, rallying up goons to fight Spider-Man at the docks, or meeting with an informant such as Nose Norton, we've got you covered. Remember, ID is needed for drinks, cash, which you have to be able to carry Spider-Man, is needed for bribes, and Maxie's and Josie's do not accept AAA discounts. Children under eight not admitted without an adult. Maxie's and Josie's. So there you go, Eddie. I, when you I'm went to these, pre- bar, yeah. When you went, I, I haven't had the opportunity to go as often as you have. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? <laughs> I have been to Josie's bar. I think not, James B. I certainly would not be bringing a lot of cash in there. Although. You know, for the record, I do like a good dive bar. But, um, and it, Josie's bar, there clearly is a lot of discussion about Spider Man. So I, I might enjoy that too. But, uh, I don't know if I'd make it out of there because I am a Spider Man fan. Not trying to show up and murder I, him, I guess, is what I, they wanted to do. Hey, I have on good authority that you've been there. I, I have, someone has told me you've been to Josie's bar. And that <laughs> was you. They? Yeah, it was you. I have been to Josie's bar. So there you go. <laughs> so, Eddie, if other people want to tell us about their experience at Josie's bar or they want to tell us how you and I both underrated the commuter book or how I overrated the. Wow, we really screwed this up today because we probably underrated the Silver Sable book and the commuter book <laughs> and overrated. <laughs> I overrated. The, Elevated the frogman. Yeah. Toad Ali Osnick. Maybe people want to tell us that they really enjoyed that. How could they reach out and tell us? Embracing your inner teenager, James B. Um, you can email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. At yeah, and I didn't get a single uh, email in September of 2023, people. So we, we got an August one, but could, you know, I got it. Let's go. I, I missed a whole month. So can we get some October messages here, please? And now it's time for the close. I'm James B. Joined by... Eddie! And remember, listeners, if you're a portly, young, clumsy, aspiring superhero with aspirations to be Spider-Man's partner... Don't bother with Spider-Man. Join the Misfits! Goodbye. Goodbye.
James B., in uh, 267, uh-huh. we're in the suburbs, right? Yep. And uh, it feels like very old manish to me. I think that's why I don't like it. Like, it just, how could this be appealing to young people? And then when... Ron says to Spider-Man, I've got yeah, the money with when, me. When Ron is about to be captured, he says, listen, Spider-Man, I've got money with me. Let me go, and it's yours. And then Spider-Man replies with, thanks, but no. They'd put me in a higher tax bracket. I can dodge bullets, but not the IRS. Is this written for, like, 35 <laughs> to 40 year, 45-year-olds? Like, who's getting this joke? Not we're, like a 13-year-old, right? We're reading these books, and we're not, right? We're reading them right now. I know, but, like... Uh, it's difficult. With, what with all the sexy comments, and uh, it just seems strangely uh, situated for an older audience member. I did think about it. Like, if you were thirteen reading in nineteen sixty-two, right? You'd be like, so, "That's a good point." So the, right? the current reader would have to be in his thirties now. They're, yes, I understand. Yeah, That's a good 30s. point. So maybe, maybe they are. They're like, this one's for you, old man. <laughs> it's the Harry Potter effect that the first books are all nice and nicey, and by the time. Seven uh, years ago, but you can start killing characters off because now your little right. kids are can handle it better. Older now. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Look at you being yeah. all smart with this book. So, <laughs> I have been to Josie's bar. 